to City on the Edge, a hey. podcast about Albuquerque, New Mexico with your hosts, Nora. Hi, Nora. <laughs> Hi, Ty. Uh, Ty Bannerman. And Mike Smith. And today, we're moving you from Giants of the Sports World, baseball. That's right. There's a baseball team named the Giants. Yeah. To <laughs> real Giants. Like sure. human. Real Giants. Look, super real. Super Giants. Yeah. Absolutely factual Giants. Yes. Mm-hmm. But first, we want to talk about a smaller creature, um, the lovely prairie dog. Yeah, and Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Guess I got to tell the story. Mike has some hard-hitting news for us. Right? This is not news. No, this is just a little this thing that happened. Albuquerque news. Yeah. So uh, I was driving home, and I was at the Eubank off-ramp. I told you guys a shorter version of the story. but um, And uh, I looked to my left, and there on the median, there were all these cute little prairie dogs. And they were, you know, running around. And one of them was looking up real ex- expectantly at my car. Not uh, uncommon in Albuquerque. No, prairie no. dogs. But prairie dogs are medians. awesome. They're like so smart. I mean, they have mm-hmm. separate rooms for bathrooms. That's like an intelligent really? species. They have distinctive squeaks. One squeak might mean there's a man wearing red clothes, and another squeak might mean there's a man wearing green clothes. So they're fashion conscious. No, oh, wow. I mean they're like they have like specific sounds that they use for specific things. They're really smart. Listen to the stuff you should know episode about prairie dogs. It's awesome. Mm. It's really interesting. So okay. I shouldn't have shot all those. <laughs> Oh no! Uh-huh. Donald Trump Jr. is evil for shooting uh-huh. pregnant prairie dogs on Earth Day. They're, that's I didn't really like, shot that. pregnant. Prairie yeah, he, dogs went, on Earth he Day? went. Yeah, yeah. During a time when they like there might have been babies back in the nests and stuff left. I mean, wow. just <clears throat> anyway, don't get me started. Need another reason. Yeah. See, this is topical. This is topical. It is. Hard hitting. Yeah. Everything's topical. But prairie dogs are amazing. You know, I mean, like there used to be prairie dog colonies the size of Texas. They're just huge. Wow. Not wow. not Texas. Texas counties or something. Oh. They were they were enormous enormous pr- colonies. You know, just like they were, and all linked together, like all the same colony. I mean, yeah, I yeah, and they're they have warning systems, and like they look out for each other, and they have families, and they're obviously like have personality, and and they're a common sight in New Mexico, uh, both in right, right, right. in the countryside yeah. where you would expect them, but also yeah. in the cities if there's even a in medians, lot. yeah, like these medians. small triangles, the yeah. Besides, yeah. I mean, but I guess wherever they can live, you know, really, even mm-hmm. though they're hunted and hated so much, but um. So I, I saw him, and I was like, man, do I have any food in the car that I can feed this one? He's kind of just looking up at me like he wants something. And I found a little orange that my kids had left in the car, and I threw it out the window and rolled it down to him, and he ran down the hill and picked it up and oh. then ran back up and came and was, like, eating it with his friends. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is great. And then I looked over, and there's, like, a homeless veteran, like, <laughs> in not enough clothing, and it was a cold day and oh. snowing out, and he was leaning against a post. And I was like, oh, I just gave the only food in my car oh. to these animals in front of a, a hungry person. And I had nothing else and no cash on me, and I just felt horrible. Oh, so, like many Albuquerque stories, there's like a cute, nice part of the beginning, and then something and tragic and, tragic and horrible and guilt-inducing as it goes on. Well, and that, uh, so. in addition to prairie dogs being quite common, uh, pretty much every intersection now there are people oh, asking for money and change. I don't, I don't understand how those in power don't realize how bad it makes the whole city look. And I'm not saying chase them out of town. I'm saying let's have services that take yeah, care yeah. of people. Like it makes us look like we have no compassion and we don't care for anything. You know, it's just, 
Ugh, man, it's just it's it's awful. And as far as I'm concerned, this is direct fallout from uh, Governor Susana Martinez. Um, crackdown on mental health services. Yeah, the crackdown on mental health services Where in the state. There yeah. was no fraud in a lot of them, right? Did yeah, she investigate them. It's there flimsy. It's allegations just... that there was fraud. There was a secret report that was compiled for her that she wouldn't let anyone else see, uh, including like the attorney general and and people who, you know, it was their right to see. And she used that as a basis for shutting down um, basically all New Mexico mental health services provided by the state or funded in any way from the state and then open it up to a bunch of companies from Arizona. So they lost all these uh, New Mexico based uh, services. Mm -hmm. They were replaced um, not in every case. In some cases, they weren't replaced at all by Arizona services. Mm. Um, and then those Arizona services uh, failed in a bunch of places. And so those places were left without any kind of mental health services whatsoever. Yeah. And I think part of what you're seeing now with the huge uh, increase in, in the number of uh, number of people begging for money on the side of the road is, is a lot of people yeah. who aren't able to get the kind of services that they were before. Man. <clears throat> Anyway, I was just like, man, I have so many Albuquerque stories that have just like the darkest punchlines like that. And it just kind of like makes me sad for our whole city. One time I was driving by and there were these two cops and they were walking up to a homeless guy lying on the ground. And, and I rolled down my window and this was shortly after James Boyd and I yelled, don't shoot him. And then I kept driving and I saw the guy was totally already dead. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> it was like, is that a funny story or oh is that the God. worst, saddest, most horrible story? And there wasn't you know, even a cute prairie dog. To no, take the edge yeah. but it's like, oh <laughs> uh, man, it's just. I think it, it makes everybody in this city like a unique breed of people. I think because we live with like such a mix of like wonderful stuff and horrible stuff. You know, like all yeah. the, you know, and it's like uh, people joke about anything here too. <laughs> like because it's <laughs> like we just live so close to the dark stuff a lot of times. Yeah. Anyway, um, anyone have anything better to talk about? Snow? It snowed this week? It snowed. That was nice. Uh, Nora, you, uh, you yeah. mentioned uh, the pit. <laughs> yes. The Wise Pies Arena right. is on the news this week. That's uh, New Mexico's um, what, sports crown jewel, I think it's been uh, referred to, the pit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it gets voted, you know, best college basketball loudest experience. Loudest. Bas- basketball. And it is really fun. I've been to some sure. games. High energy. It's really high energy. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, it's been around since what the '60s or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something. And like it that. is painfully loud sometimes. I mean, yeah, it's just, it, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's a, loud a wall space. of sound. Yeah. So, uh, so well, there's two things: is that the first gathering of nations not in the pit was held this weekend. And what is the held. gathering of nations? Um, I'm not sure of the exact term or the exact like definition, but from what I understand, it's a gathering of. Nations. <laughs> Great North. <laughs> Native American um, nations. Native American uh, nations. Across the United States. Yes. Have you ever been? No, I haven't. Have you ever been? I've been, but it's been a long time. I've, I've never there. actually been, but it's, it's a huge I mean, it's deal. It's a huge around. deal, yeah. And anytime I drove by in that time period, by the pit, it seemed really crowded, mm-hmm. festive, and so it was kind of a surprise when they mm. pulled out of the, you know... Mm. Right, hosting deal. So it went to the fairgrounds. It's where Miss uh, Native America is crowned. Oh, Miss really? Indian USA. I'm sorry, oh. Miss Indian USA oh, is cool. crowned every year. Huh. Um, there's huge numbers of dances, all the fancy dress dances and all the hmm. crazy dances um, are are held there. They're yeah. judged and everything. It's really quite a quite a big deal. It's it's basically a huge powwow. Like. Um, hmm. 
you know, in the, yeah. the, kind of cool. the Midwestern powwow sense. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, it, it, they got kicked out of so the pit they, this year. Yeah. And the other pit news is that it no longer gets to be the beautiful Wise Pies Arena. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, they renamed the pit the Wise Pies Arena last year. Or was it two years ago? It, Wise Pies Arena, a.k.a. Cool. the pit. Like, AKA the like pit. how can we make the same clunkier? A mouthful. Less um, euphonic. Yeah, yeah, to everyone. <laughs> nobody liked that. Nobody <laughs> likes Nobody likes these naming I hate issues. that corporate right. sellout yeah. stuff. It's crazy. And it, I can't believe how long it took to get to New Mexico mm-hmm. for them to start yeah. calling things. Yeah. The, you know, I, I, I assume they would have preferred to be the Intel Arena or whatever yeah. it is. Right. Um, instead, we got the Wise Pies Arena, which... Uh, Nobody on earth likes or cares about, including New Mexico. <laughs> like, have you ever had no. their pizzas? They're not good. They're not oh, that yeah. good. I never went there because of the pit stuff. I was like, I'm not giving you a dollar. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, just come in here, put your dumb name all over stuff. Try yeah. To, try to be the next Dion's. We have a Dion's. Well, they're no longer <laughs> called that. So what's the story there? Well, I suppose it's being unveiled, the new name. The new name. So the first part of the news is that. No longer Wise Pies, but there's a new name. Corporate sponsor. Yeah. Oh, so really? It probably so. is going to be Intel's The Pit or whatever. Or Blake's Lotteberg's. How about call it The Pit? Blake's would at least just, be yeah. Yeah. something that people have positive associations with. Yeah. yeah. That's our In and Out Burger in, yeah. in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, it's just annoying. I remember like going to a great concert in Texas once, but it was like the Blockbuster Blockfest, and there were just Blockbuster video mm-hmm. banners everywhere. And it was there were all these bands that yeah. I liked, but it was so far from like the magic that can happen at a great music show, you know, at a great live event because it was just so corporate everywhere. I yeah. went to another one like that, and it was like just Tostitos stuff everywhere. Like yeah. magic doesn't happen against the Tostitos banner; it just doesn't no. happen, you know. Like well, I hate that what, stuff. What about you, uh. if listeners helped us out? We could do City on the Edge Arena. Well, that uh, at least would yeah. be something we could all get behind yeah. as a as a state. I so we need our first multi-million dollar donor <laughs> for that to happen. <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take one of our little stickers uh, and I'll stick it next to the pit sign. Oh, nice. So it oh, says yeah. City on the Edge. We could just pit. spray paint our, yeah. our stuff over it. Yeah. And that'll be our, uh, our official uh, corporate naming. Oh, man. It wears me out. Yeah. I used to live in Boston and they, there was this big Sitgo sign that just spun all night long and it was like a local landmark and people loved the Sitgo sign. <laughs> and I just remember being like, no, it's just some gas station sign. Like, you know, and I got shouted down as a hater. You know, but it, I just I don't get nostalgic for corporate stuff. I hate when I see like retro Coca Cola stuff on people's walls. Like, isn't it amazing? Look at uh, other times. No, it's exactly the same. This company still exists. <laughs> it's just uh, sorry, I'm cranky. I just that stuff bugs me. I, like, I hate the corporate ownership of our world. It drives me crazy. Well, yeah. uh, we're not talking about corporate ownership yeah. today. We're talking about That's something uh, a bit more a bit more nebulous and that's that is true. man's uh man humanity's propensity to uh to invent mm. and to um what would you say find mystery everywhere uh, why don't you give us a little hint about what we're right. going to hear just just tell us a little bit we're about we're going to hear it. about perhaps a very 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 large skeleton found in the sandias that almost certainly wasn't <gasps> there okay All right. mm. but before we get to that we have a quick one-act play. All right, bear with us. Speaking of corporate stuff. Hey, Nora. I'm not Nora. I'm just a random person hanging out at this coffee shop. Oh, okay. Well, uh, you look like you're deep in thought. Well, I want to give to City on the Edge, 
but I'm worried that my money will be used to fuel Ty's bath salts habit. Well, good news. I am Ty, and I don't use bath salts. But also, I can tell you that all the money donated goes to support the podcast. It takes a lot of research, work, and good equipment to create new episodes of City on the Edge, and your donation makes that possible. So when you donate to us at www.patreon.com slash edge, you can rest assured that the funds will be used to continue to tell amazing, weird, funny, awful, creepy, and fascinating stories about Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, that's great. I'll donate today. Also, do you know where I can buy some spice? Fantastic. stirring a uh, dramatic moment that once again we just happened to capture at a local coffee So you have shop. like hidden microphones at these coffee we shops? We do. <laughs> yeah, anytime I go into a place I like to make sure everyone's recorded okay. and um, uh, you know that, that I pick up any random conversations that happen to occur to me and, and so far two of them have been with a person uh, who seems like Nora but isn't uh, yeah. and about our Patreon well, account. Well that's neat. Wow. I like that. What are the chances? All right. Well, All right. well, shall we? Uh, let's, let's shall we move into yeah. Uh, yeah, this, hear about this. Uh, right. astounding discovery in the Sandia sure. Mountains? Okay. Giant of the Sandias. In May of 1866, Albuquerque resident Dr. W. T. Strachan claimed to have discovered the skeleton of a giant in a cave at the southwestern end of the Sandia Mountains. At the time, Albuquerque was still 14 years away from the arrival of the railroad in a state that was still just a U.S. territory. Its name was still spelled Albuquerque with that extra R, and there wasn't much more to the city than part of what we now call Old Town. To the east of Albuquerque lay only El Llano, the plain, or the East Mesa, a rolling sagebrush sea of rabbit brush and cactus and dirt in which the little Via de Albuquerque was merely an island. To the east of this wide desert expanse were the Sandia and Manzano Mountains, split by Tejeras Canyon, which itself was defined only by its creek and a rough, army-graded wagon road. Most days all you heard was the wind as it blew across and around the Sandia's foothills and its scree of boulders. Apaches and Comanches occasionally rode through on horseback. Hispanic stockmen grazed goats in the area, and white would-be miners poked around the rocks in search of silver, lead, gold, gypsum, whatever earned the money. In 1866, Dr. W.T. Strachan was one of Albuquerque's small minority of non-Hispanic residents. He was a local entrepreneur, a member of the Bernalillo County Legislature, and, according to Volume 2 of George B. Anderson's 1907, History of New Mexico, Its Resources and People, a founder of the Albuquerque Bridge Company, which maintained the only structure across the Rio Grande, a rickety toll bridge that would later wash away in a flood. Strachan had been out prospecting, he told the Santa Fe New Mexican, when he noticed a small cave entrance among the mountain's sloping granite boulder fields. This cave, he alleged, opened up into a sizable cavern, large enough to contain an enormous human-like skeleton, later reckoned to be around 40 feet tall and 9 feet wide. The skeleton was so large, he said, he could only easily remove and carry out the tip of one of its little fingers, the first phalanx of a little finger of a man who must have weighed 3,600 pounds, as one unnamed 1866 Albuquerque medical professional said. Strachan had a friend up in Santa Fe, Frank Green of the notoriously rowdy El Dorado Saloon, 
and during his next journey to the capital city, he showed the bone to Green, who put it on display in his bar to attract business. Hundreds of people came to see the alleged giant's alleged fingertip, and would then stop to buy a drink and talk about the oddity with the other patrons. This unusual story seems to have been preserved only in a small number of May 1866 articles in the Santa Fe New Mexican, and in a March 4, 1977 Albuquerque Tribune column by Howard Bryan. The New Mexican in Santa Fe reported that Dr. Strachan was a gentleman of the strictest veracity since he was a member of the New Mexico legislature, quipped Bryan. Need I say more? Another problem with the story is the involvement of a 40-foot-tall human giant. Oh, that. In the 1860s and 1870s, evolutionary theory was extremely young. Biblical mentions of giants were often taken literally, and a small number of other purported giant remains turned up periodically around the country. New York's carved stone Cardiff Giant hoax in 1869 was the most famous of these. Also, if a large cavern exists anywhere around the Sandia's southern end, it remains unknown today. The mountain's geology doesn't seem to support the possibility of one, since the few caves there are in the hard granite and limestone are very narrow. There is also the mountain's fossil record, which leans heavily toward the much older and simpler, the sorts of basic vertebrates that would have been swimming about when the tops of the range were still the floor of an ancient sea and had yet to begin tilting upward. Finally, there's the matter of the skeleton's discovery. Only one bone was recovered from this potentially revolutionary find. The skeleton appears never to have been revisited or recovered, and the sole professional opinion on the matter seems to have come not from a paleontologist, but from an unnamed worker in an unnamed medical field. Even the evidence, the so-called finger bone, was exhibited not in a museum but in a saloon, and studied not by scientists but by drunk people. Giants may never have roamed the Sandias, but it may be that something once left its bones in the mountains and that Strachan found them and honestly mistook them for something else. Or he may have made the story up entirely. Either way, this story of the giant of the Sandias tells us much about how we interact with our world. The places we live help shape us, but with our stories and our lies and our daydreams, we in turn shape them, reinventing them in our minds for ourselves. Strachan may not have found the skeleton of a giant, but perhaps he did wander th through the Sandias, and perhaps the mountains, as remote and as lonesome as they were, did feel like the sort of place that giants would have roamed had existence only given them such an opportunity. In that ascending wilderness, in that rocky desert, the idea may at least have felt true, have felt possible enough for Strachan to project that feeling back onto the mountains. He wouldn't have been the first to do so either, and he wouldn't be the last. Before him, there were gods who emerged from the mountain's highest summit, and there were lost minds. After him, there would be other lost minds, and the urban legend of a murderous hobo whose ghosts still haunt another unknown cave in some southwestern foothills. Or maybe it's the same cave. Forty-foot-tall giant in the Sandias. Um, well, you know, I, I, I am not a paleontologist or an anthropologist or an archaeologist. Uh, however, I think this is absolutely 100% true. I think so, too. I've, I've come around since You've I wrote that. You've convinced me. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, it seems weird to me. Like, 40 feet tall and 9 feet wide, those seem like weird proportions, even if it was a giant. Like, are we a fourth as wide as we are tall? I don't know. It's, that doesn't it's, seem right to me. He's hmm. uh, a stocky giant, it seems like. Oh, maybe, right? yeah. 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 And do you make that up, or do you just want to believe it's real yeah. so badly? Or I don't... Well, so there's the question. Okay, so um, how do we view this story? Uh, well, we can believe that, that yeah. everything happened exactly as Strachan said it did. 
That's number one. Um, number two is that uh, things happened as he said it did, but he found um, he actually found something sure, yeah, yeah. mysterious mm-hmm. and um, misinterpreted it as right. a forty foot tall yeah. skeleton. And then the third one would be he just made the whole thing up. What do you guys think? Oh, man. I had to pick one, I'd say the latter, but mm, me too. Yeah. 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 I mean going right to a bar with it, getting only <laughs> one bone from it, right. never going back to it, at least not in re- on record. Suspicious. Yeah. So Dr. Strachan is he is not unknown to us. Oh, really? um, he is uh, he was an alderman of uh, Albuquerque, New Albuquerque, when it was founded as a town, officially consolidated as a town in uh, I believe eighteen eighty three, eighteen eighty two. Um, he was known as a prospector. He came to the New Mexico Territory during the Civil War as a sutler, S-U-T-L-E-R, someone who sold um, mercantile items, food, uh, that sort of thing to the troops. Mm -hmm. Um, So he would follow the troops around selling to them. And then he stayed in uh, in New Mexico, um, settled around Albuquerque for the most part, then later in his life went up to uh, Las Vegas. Um, other things I know about him is that he was described in 1905 by a friend of his as a well-known practical joker. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's not good. Right there. Um, however, he was also, uh, he was, like I said, he was a prospector. He went out into the hills. He was known for having explored, they said like every hole Mm -hmm. in the Sandias, every, Mm -hmm. uh, every peculiar outcropping of the mountains around here. So he was certainly an exploratory fellow, um, known as a joker. Uh, what else can we say about him? Um, a salesman, hmm. Hmm. Um, a bit of a raconteur. And he assembled, uh, he assembled exhibition. He, he assembled exhibits for different bars. Um, around uh, cities in New Mexico and also for expositions such as the Territorial Exposition um, in New Mexico. And then maybe he even went to represent uh, New Mexico at the World's Fair oh, wow. in, the, uh, in the early 1890s. Interesting. Yeah, wow. so what a, yeah. kind of a peculiar mm-hmm. figure. Um, I was not able to find the original articles uh, from the New Mexican in, ni- in 1866. Mm-hmm. They, as far as I've been able to ascertain, um, the archives don't exist. Uh, certainly at the certainly online, certainly at the Albuquerque Public Library. It may be that if someone goes digging into the microfiche in Santa Fe, they would have mm. better luck. I did I find like the 1977 that. article. I found that. That's what got me on the trail of the story. First, I wrote that article in 2010, so it's old. Yeah, but <laughs> but um, I, and I think I remember trying to find that Santa Fe New Mexican article, and I can't remember if I actually did. I don't think I did. Yeah, yeah, pretty uh, pretty tough to find. Um, yeah. Let me see if I can find the Brian article because that's actually pretty interesting. Uh, Brian wrote it. He uh, so this is the Albuquerque Tribune, nineteen seventy seven. Okay, Rest he in peace. wrote um, he wrote these uh, historic columns uh, from the fifties uh, through at least the seventies. I'm hmm. not exactly sure when he stopped. But apparently this w- this one was written on the occasion of having seen a Bigfoot documentary on television. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he was surprised when a map of the United States popped up that showed 
different Bigfoot sightings in the U.S., and New Mexico was shown as having eight. So he went oh. digging into the record to see if he could find any kind of um, Bigfoot uh, news from back then. And he wasn't able to, but he did find, uh, first of all, this giant that we mentioned. But then also, back in the 1880s, he writes, I found some Socorro County ranchers reported that a race of midgets, human beings less than three feet high, inhabited remote areas of the San Mateo <laughs> Mountains. The ranchers reported that upon occasion they would get glimpses of these little people scampering up and down the mountains. Those duendes, that's great. Ooh. And leaping from rock to uh, rock. So that, wow. That's kind of a neat little detail. That is cool, <laughs> And that yeah. was in 77. That was in the same Roundup article he wrote? Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, he just uh, he just mentions that Santa Fe residents filed into the saloon in 1866 and looked at the giant's finger bone. Oh wow! Mm. I love thinking about Albuquerque in that pre-railroad time. I think it's a really like interesting time to think of the city. Yeah, you know? mm. like that's that's it's cool. So uh, Strachan <laughs> also started a hotel at huh. the mouth of Hell Canyon. Hmm. Which what? do you know? Which uh, canyon is Hell Canyon? Where is that? Is that in this area? In Sandia, yeah. really? Yeah, Hell Canyon. No. Um, so apparently that was a place where people would prospect. So he set up a little hotel. Oh, there. it must wow. be toward the north end, like near Montezuma uh, right. Ridge and stuff like that. That that's got to be up near Placidas. <laughs> Yeah, it has to be. Because also, if he was a miner and a prospector in the 1860s and 70s, that was the Sandia silver boom. There was a ton of activity up there. That was a major boom. I have a, some stuff in my book on that, and, and uh, I have a ton of stuff at home on CD on CD-ROMs from old mining newsletters and oh, wow. things like that. Um, I mean, I remember I found one report of somebody found a piece of silver the size of a goose egg. And in the Sandias, wow. and it was like, it lit a panic. I mean, people were just like, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Let's tear yeah. this apart. That was really like the first major influx mm-hmm. of miners into the Sandia Mountains. Well, in modern times, modern-ish times, was the 1870s in the northern mm-hmm. end there. And there's still tons of traces of that. There's the Montezuma Mine, Montezuma Mine, which is not the original Spanish mine by that name, which used Native American slave labor. It's a later mine that took the same name, thinking mm. maybe we're the same one that they had from before. No, um, <laughs> but super interesting stuff, you know, like all yeah. these miners. And the Ortiz Mountains nearby were having a boom of their own at that same time. It was the first gold rush, rush west of the Mississippi in the Ortiz Mountains, just beyond the Sandias, which you can see from Sandia Peak. Um, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was up there, Hell Canyon. Mm. But yeah, I don't. It makes me feel weird. Figure that, that out. Yeah, mm-hmm. seriously. Let's go find well, his hotel's ruins. Yeah, they got to be and up what there. What kind yeah. of hotel sort of, was it? I'm, it just I'm says just... a hotel, so it could have just been a camp. Like a camp, right? If you know where Hell Canyon is, I'm sure we can find this on a USGS map or something. But like, if you know where Hell Canyon is and you want to show us where Strachan's hotel might have been, hit us up. Find us on Facebook or email. Mm-hmm. And, and it may well be. Yeah. Um, yeah, here we go. So the Hell Canyon mines, according to the Albuquerque Review, are proving very rich. Mm. Dr. W.T. Strachan mm. and Dr. J.M. Thomas have found a regular bonanza in them. A says of average specimens give $161 gold and three ounce silver per ton. Wow. The vein wow. is very wide. So if we can figure out where this is, maybe we'll all get rich. Let's yeah. do this. Let's go up there. <laughs> do you yeah. ever find silver up there? I see gold in boulders all the time, but it's like little flecks. Like, how would you even get that out? Mm. You know, that, and is that, it... That, 
actually gold or is it yeah. you know pyrite or something? Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I certainly am not smart enough to tell the difference. I mean, there's a whole history of like gold being around in the West and people being unable to get it out. Like in Glen Canyon, there was just gold dust in all the sands, and the miners just went crazy Whoa. in southern Utah and northern Arizona, and just trying to get the stuff out, and they can't. It's just like, how do you get it? They tried machines that use static electricity and oh, things man. like that to try to extract it, and it's just like, sorry, it's like flour fine. It's in there. Mm. And kind of the last thing that uh, Dr. Strachan is known for, um, in Albuquerque anyway, is uh, being one of the partners of the Albuquerque Bridge Company. Right, right. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I mentioned that in the piece, and I remember doing a bit more research on that when I wrote that article. Like, yeah, the bridges across the Rio Grande used to just be the most, like, ramshackle affairs. They were like, you know... uh, just whatever materials were at hand, they'd patch something together and because they didn't want to do something too permanent because the Mm. thing flooded all the time and destroyed whatever it was. Mm. And so it was like, you know, you could build a bridge and it would be useful for a while, but it wasn't going to last. Right. Right. And, um, so uh, yeah, those details are not fresh in my mind right now. But but it was yeah. So he that was an important thing though to like build yeah. a bridge across. And it was a, it was a toll bridge too. Yeah. They yeah. had a uh, a toll booth in the middle of the no bridge, way. so they could get people going back and forth. Um, but apparently the the problem was um, when the river was low enough, and we all know what the Rio Grande is mm-hmm. like. It, mm-hmm. it gets quite shallow sometimes. People mm-hmm. would just wade across if they needed to go across. <laughs> hey. Um, but then if it were actually like flooding and rushing by in a way that really required the use of the bridge, most of the time the bridge would just get washed out. Oh, wow. So it, it was not a money-making venture. Um, so they wound up shutting it down. Interesting. Whoa, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Franz Hooning was the major partner behind it. Oh, he, interesting. He wound up just losing all the money that was invested. Franz Hooning, we should, we should say, uh, was a... Pretty important founder of New Albuquerque, right? Yeah. He had Hewning Castle, this castle-like home. He was an owner, owner of a mill yeah. in Old Town Albuquerque, and then he uh, was, was he, his daughter Erna Ferguson. I think his granddaughter. His was granddaughter Erna Ferguson. Was Erna Ferguson. Okay, yeah. the the writer. She wrote a really wonderful book about Albuquerque called Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> I love that book. It's great. Is it a novel? No, it's just like oh. a, her like survey of the city in the forties. Reminiscences. Yeah, it's it's great. It's really interesting to read about the city. I really like her as a writer. She's I fun. Mean, yeah, yeah. She can not, feel her her personality behind it. And you know, she has a. It's very like an impressionistic rush of mm-hmm. uh, feelings and so forth. But um, kind of nice for a yeah for a history book. Yeah, yeah. to see that. And um, every time I think of Hewning, uh, now there's that Hewning Castle development down yeah. there. And a friend of mine was Facebooking that he just kept getting attacked by a hawk over there over and over again. <laughs> I just remember that story. Wait, really? It's so, it's so funny. Yeah, it was like a nesting hawk in a tree. Well, there it is. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Strachan. That's really interesting that he was had a reputation as a practical joker. I know. Now yeah. I'm... That kind of takes the now story. Now you don't believe in the 40-foot no, giant so no. much? Um, I was ready to, but... No, I think, you know, it, to put this in context, this was a time when a lot of... Um, Giants were being discovered, and I put that in quotations all over the United <laughs> States. Right. Uh, so that you mentioned in your your piece there that just a couple of years later the Cardiff giant mm. was discovered. Right. Um, and that's probably the most famous of these uh, of these. Um, I don't know archaeological. I don't know what you call it. Misfits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hoaxes. So, uh, Nora, I understand you kind of looked yeah. into the Cardiff giant. What can you tell us about that? Well, and going back a little bit later to Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species in Mm. 1859, that kind of set off a craze to be like, where do we evolve from? Um, Mm. And kind of inspired thought of like, are we from 
giants, pygmies, you know, like hmm. what kind of creature? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, also a rush to disprove that too, right? Like, right, yeah. right. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so it's hazy why George Hull, the man behind the Cardiff hmm. giant, um, got the seed planted, but apparently he started thinking about it in 1867 and planned it um, and then built it, constructed this fake giant in 1868. Wow. Um, and... Uh, let me look up the size. Do you know the size? Didn't he make it out of like plaster or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Gypsum. Gypsum, really? Gypsum was what I read. Wow. And he poked holes, like needle holes in it to look like pores. Oh, you know, there's these wow. like intricate details that, um, that, you know, convinced a lot of people. So when it was finished, it was more than 10 feet tall and weighed nearly 3,000 pounds. Wow. Yeah. So he and a pair of sculptors... Mm made this so you know people were this is a in new on york. the joke yeah okay yeah in new york um and then he picked cardiff new york to bury it because there were different archaeological discoveries there and he had a distant cousin who had land there and hmm. mormons um there was a there was a group of mormons in, oh really who had come from there and so there was a lot of talk about what the actual origin of uh people in the united states might have been interesting oh yeah. That's so interesting. Wow. And Weird he, well. what I think is a brilliant move on his part is he let it lay in the ground for a year. Oh, interesting. Wow. And then had his distant cousin hire workers who had no idea to mm. dig a well um, in the spot where... That is pretty brilliant. You know, they knew the giant was buried. Right. Yeah. And so from there, like, you know, there's this article that said um, the Syracuse Journal wrote, Quote, women caught up their babies and children in numbers, all hurried to the scene where the interest of that little community centered. Men left mm. their work. Everyone ran to see the giant. To so see the giant. It really created a big splash. Interesting. And it was, I mean, they had people, uh, experts testify to its authenticity as a, as a petrified man. Wow. Um, some other experts said, well, no, maybe not petrification, but hmm. certainly very, very old. You know, some wow. sort of, uh, you know, thousand years old or whatever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and um, P.T. Barnum saw the success of it and basically recreated it. <laughs> yeah, and he had just it. faked it. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And Faked the fake. He and ended up making more money off his fake wow. giant. Um, but Hull did okay. But by 1870, it was more a subject of ridicule. P.T. Barnum. I haven't uh, thought about him in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's president. But guess how much <laughs> you guys <laughs> maybe we should discover something. Yeah. Because guess how much George Hull made? How much uh, did he make? Twenty thousand dollars. In in eighteen sixty nine money. Yeah. Which yeah, that's a heck of a lot. I mean, I was reading somewhere they were they were discussing uh, another giant, actually, the San Diego giant, was purchased apparently by the Smithsonian for five hundred dollars. Wow. Um in like 1905, which was con- which was the equivalent of fourteen thousand right. dollars at that point, so hmm. twenty thousand dollars yeah, in yeah. eighteen sixty nine. I mean, assuming you know that it's, yeah. that it's uh, generally tr- inflation is trending upwards. Um, wow. That's that's a heck of a lot of money. I understand the appeal. I like you know of doing like just something that gets everybody talking like that. That's got to be amazing. So uh, yeah. what I read was that he had an argument. With a uh, with a minister named Turk, oh, yes, and that he was the the minister was a uh, a biblical literalist. He professed to believe every word in the Bible was mm. true, and so 
um, Hull was like, well, what about giants? You believe there were giants in the earth in those days? Hmm. And Hull was like, or, uh, Turk was like, uh, yeah, I do, actually, as a matter of fact. And Because the he book was, of Genesis states there right. were giants in the earth in those right. days. Exactly. Yeah. Which is a great line. And, and um, apparently Hull was outnumbered at the bar that night. And hmm. every, he got shouted down. He was an atheist. And uh, he went home and he was so mad about it. He thought people will believe anything. Hmm. And he set out to make a fool of the world wow. was uh, apparently his intention. Mm. Wow. Then he did. But although that find is still cited by like creationist websites. Yes. And things like that to this day, um, right? It was actually real. Here's the thing. There were a bunch of mm. giant finds around this time hmm. prior to uh, Strachan in the 1860s and, and then in great numbers after the finding of the Cardiff giant. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Copycat. Yeah. Giant and it's, you know, I think there were a couple of things going on. One was uh, actual legitimate finds of human bones hmm. that would then be misreported and exaggerated hmm. in various places, sometimes because of uh, racist ideas about the kinds of people who would be capable of making large structures like mm. the mound, uh, the, the megalithic oh, right, mounds right. in the, uh, mm. in the Midwest, right. there was a, mm-hmm. a kind of belief that, uh, native Americans would not be able to, to make right. these things. Um, and that therefore there needed to be some sort of other group. Mm. Uh, and, and a belief that it was, uh, sometimes they believed it was Vikings. Interesting. Sometimes mm. it was giants. Sometimes it was racist. lost tribes of Israel. Great giants, yeah. I'm sure. Right. Uh, right. so they would, you know, they would dig into these mounds and say, wow, there was like a skeleton that was seven and a half feet long. Mm. Um, and then, you know, if it was actually measured more legitimately, it turned out to be closer to, you know, just six feet or whatever. Interesting. Just disarticulated wow. and looking larger. Um, then there were other kinds of bones that were found, um, that looked vaguely like human bones. Hmm. Uh, there's one in particular that's, uh, let's see. Oh, here we go. Um, a giant salamander uh, was found in 1834. Wow. And it sounds it was, like a dinosaur. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it was identified as a human because of the shape of its vertebrae. Huh. They thought, hmm. well, this looks very much like a human. So they said it must be an antediluvian human being. I love that word before yeah. the flood. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was this kind of thing going on. Mastodon bones. Yeah. Um, there was a mastodon bone found in Tennessee in 1845 huh. that if you ever see a, an mm. elephant's skull, it looks like it could be hmm. a cyclops or something. They have this giant hole in the middle of their skulls. Interesting. So one was dug up in a field in Tennessee and they decided it must be a, a, a 12 foot tall person. Wow. So this was going on wow. all over the place um, prior to, uh, to Strachan's find. So cool. How did all this coincide or overlap with... Um the, the the discovery of dinosaurs. Like when was Mary, what's her name, and the first discovery of the ichthyosaurus? And, well, I know that they uh, were actually finding these things, uh, you know, around this time, and there was suddenly a lot of like paleontology interest mm. going on, huh. um, and then coinciding with the theory of evolution uh, that um, the Earth was maybe. Uh, far older than we believed, and that species had progressed through different uh, stages. Um, so there was an interest in like refuting that among biblical mm. literalists, mm. and then there was the interest of hucksters like uh, like Hull, mm-hmm. who mm. kind of wanted to make a fool of everybody, right. and then people like P.T. Barnum who yeah. were like, 
let's just let's just make some crap and make some money off of it. So, Why yeah. not? You know, Fiji Mermaid. There's yeah. a really interesting article um, called. Let's see. The Joy in Believing, the Cardiff Giant, Commercial Deceptions, and Styles of Observations in hmm. Gilded Age hmm. America by Michael Pettit. And he makes the point that there was this idea. This, this is a time when expertise was beginning to separate from common man, hmm. Hmm. common people. Hmm. So there were experts, scientists, and so mm-hmm. forth. And this kind of thing, like the Cardiff Giant, appealed to just plain old folk because you were invited to come and look at it yourself and make your own decision about whether it's real or not, whether or not those stuffed shirt scientists, no matter what they believe, Mm -hmm. you can come check it out and make your own. And so there was, uh, make your own decisions. And so there was, um, they were promoted in a way that emphasized the controversy. They would have, P.T. Barnum would promote the idea that scientists from the Smithsonian had said this wasn't real, but scientists from somebody else had said it was real. So why don't you come? So there's this mystery. And yeah, pay your 25 cents, check it out, and then you, common man, mm-hmm. can make your own decision about it. And be a part of the scientific discovery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a way, or refuting the scientific discovery. Yeah. Um, interesting. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, well... Hmm. Man, science is so cool. I just don't understand the resistance to it. Like, who doesn't <laughs> like something that uncovers the mystery of things, you know, and, and yeah. tries to find out the truth behind the world? You know, I yeah. love that stuff. It's not like it, you know, I, I always think of that Marilyn Robinson fact. A fact is not a refutation of a mystery. A fact is a mystery. Like, mm. you know, that that is such a great quote. And, and uh, I, I just feel like it's so sad that so many people are threatened by truth. You know, because it's never going to stop being mysterious. Everything's amazing. It's it's weird. It doesn't make any sense. Why do we exist? It's all (laughs) bizarre. You know. Yeah. (laughs) But I just like you know hearing about that age of discovery when people were finding these bones and beginning to make sense of it and thinking about the variety of species and where everything came from. It's just so sad to me that we still have this like willful resistance. I mean, right now we have the flat earth stuff coming back. A number of prominent people on social media and elsewhere just saying, yeah, the earth is flat. You are <laughs> morons. You're the dumbest people I've ever heard in my life, and you've been misled. Like, So not too know. surprisingly, maybe, there's actually uh, a pretty good crossover between people who believe in uh, the flat earth and people who maintain that these giant discoveries back in the 1800s were actually legitimate and uh, that there's been a major cover-up to say, uh, I, I don't, I still haven't quite figured out why the cover yeah. up would yeah. happen. Why? In the same yeah. way, why would why would scientists be interested in saying the Earth is not flat when it really yeah. is? Like, I, right? What is the end game? You know, when why I, would we fake? A, I guess there's at least more of an understanding of why we would yeah. fake a moon landing, but why sure, would they say that there's a flat Earth, not a flat Earth, when mm. there is? Seriously, who is cares? it to pull one over the experts in that same vein of like, <laughs> no. You the, guys are wrong. The closest yeah. thing I found was a theory that um, it was in order to get people to distrust the Bible. Mm. That the idea of oh. the earth being promoted as round mm. or that giants having not existed was in order to pull people away from a literal Bible interpretation. Interesting. Mm. And that it was some sort of conspiracy, I guess, by the devil. I guess it works. Yeah, I remember <laughs> I got picked up by a traveling preacher once in northern Canada, and I was he was going on about how the Earth was like super young and all this stuff, and uh, I was like, "Well, what about dinosaurs and all the dinosaur skeletons? Satan put them there to trick people." 
You yeah. know, it's just like, okay, well, it's I guess you can say that for anything. Fault. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, why, why would you do that? Why right. do this elaborate thing? I'm going to hide them all over the earth, exactly <laughs> matching <laughs> where they would have been based on migration <laughs> patterns, et cetera. Oh, man. So oh, man. in 1905... Uh, there was another discovery of giants, and I just I want to read this article because I think it's really typical of mm. the kind of articles that were uh, that were um, you know this was actually in the New York Times, which we all know is fake news now. Oh. Uh, I guess back then it was fake news. Too. I don't think we can do this kind of sarcasm, man. We got <laughs> to be on the side of truth and reality. Right. Giant skeletons <laughs> found. <laughs> Archaeologists to send expedition to explore <laughs> graveyards in New Mexico where bodies were unearthed. Huh. February tenth. Owing to the discovery of the remains of a race of giants in Guadalupe, New Mexico, antiquarians and archaeologists are preparing an expedition to explore that region. This determination is based on the excitement that exists among the people of a scope of country near Mesa Rico, about 200 miles southeast of Las Vegas, where an old burial ground has been discovered that yielded skeletons of enormous size. Luciana Quintana, on whose ranch the ancient burial plot is located, discovered two stones that bore curious inscriptions, and beneath these were found in shallow excavations the bones of a frame that could not have been less than 12 feet in length. The men who opened the grave say the forearm was four feet long, and that in a well-preserved jaw the lower teeth range from the size of a hickory nut to that of the largest walnut. The chest of the being is reported as having a circumference of seven feet. Again, that's... Quite a ratio there. Quintana, who has uncovered many other burial places, expresses the opinion that perhaps thousands of skeletons of a race of giants long extinct will be found. This supposition is based on the traditions handed down from the early Spanish invasion that have detailed knowledge of the existence of a race of giants that inhabited the plains of what is now eastern New Mexico. Indian legends and carvings also in the same section indicate the existence of such a race. Wild. Oh. So that's February 11, 1902. Maybe they were aliens. <laughs> maybe maybe we don't yeah. have to reject all science. They're just an alien race of giants that yeah. arrived at one point. Well, you read something like that, <laughs> and it is. It's a bit arresting. I mean, yeah. yeah. That um, one was most convincing so far. <laughs> And this, oh. these are being upheld uh, by people, often with um, uh, kind of racist motivation. Oh, yeah. Uh, wishing to show that, you know, whatever their cockamamie theories about who Seriously. really uh, settled the United States first. Um, oh, God. You see that a lot with the ancient alien theories, the whole chariot of the gods thing. Do you remember that? The, yeah. Like, no. you know, the, like, how could these ignorant minds and Aztecs have possibly built all this stuff? I mean, come oh, on, really? Obviously, it's aliens. You know, like, you know, how how could how could these people in South America have made these enormous pictures? Like, uh, I don't know, people in medieval England or, or uh, Neolithic England did it. Right. You know, like, what, they had a different skin color and so they're incapable of, like, right. amazing architectural artistic feats. You know, it's crazy. But, uh, you know, fortunately we're enlightened now. Everything is yeah, cool. Everyone's yeah. smart now. I thought we couldn't use sarcasm anymore. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, <it's>, so, <laughs> from the... <laughs> The items, the uh, the corpses, I guess, that have been preserved. For instance, the uh, the Cardiff Giant, yeah, the San Diego Giant, uh, which actually is now lost, but it was tested and it was found to be made of rosin. Oh wow! Uh, a ten foot tall thing. Um, others have uh, turned out to be like mastodon right. skulls or giant salamanders, 
or simply misrepresented actual discoveries. Interesting. Hmm. Huh. So wow. do giants exist? Do we have a definitive answer? Only in the NBA. I met a guy who was seven <laughs> feet tall once, and it was terrifying. Yeah, I just no, realized, like, oh, my gosh, all my confidence comes from being tall. <laughs> and like, there might actually be a few, you know, seven-foot oh, tall sure. skeletons yeah. actually yeah. found. Right. You know? Don't they give the measurements of Goliath in the Bible, and he's just like a tall, average American? <laughs> he's five foot eight. <laughs> I don't know. You, I, I don't know if that's true. I read that we're all constantly expanding, like the Big Bang expanding outward from its beginning. It wasn't just like a past tense thing. It's now also, yeah, right? I suppose mm-hmm. so. And ev- but everything is expanding at the same rate, so we don't even know. So we all are giants, basically. We're all yeah. bigger than we were we, 150 yeah. years ago? Like exponentially bigger, probably at least, right? That's also because of McDonald's, too, Oh, right? that's true, yeah, yeah, and, and our health. Yeah, but so I don't know, yeah. Um, I don't know, who knows? I do think that the world is weird and... You know, anomalies happen. Did, Nora, didn't you say you had a story about like your one of your first memories was seeing some? Oh yeah. yeah. Speaking of humans that are you know just yeah unusually tall. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was um a f- museum in Florida, Pensacola, Florida, hmm. and it was this guy, this politician who collected things, hmm. and he just put them in a museum. Um, and one of them was a giant shoe. And I just remember being so struck by this huge shoe. Hmm. And I asked my dad about it today. I was like, what was that huge shoe? And he said, oh, it bro- belonged to Robert Wadlow. He remembered was, the name? He did some investigating. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. Um, that's where I get it from. But huh. he, um, <laughs> Robert was the tallest man in the world back in the first half of the hmm. 20th century. Hmm. So he born 1918, died 1940. Um was eight feet eleven inches at the time of his wow. death. Wow! Um, and if you look him up, the pictures with him juxtaposed, you know, with his dad are right. wild. And I think by the time he was in, I don't know what eight. By the time he was eight years old, he was taller than his dad. Wow! So and he had some, um, like the, his pituitary gland was. Way broken. Producing, yeah, a <laughs> yeah. huge amount of human growth hormone. Acromegaly. Interesting. Yeah. But I just remember, like, the shoe, I was just like, how can a real human Crazy. exist who's that big? That's well, if you go to Tinkertown up in uh, mm. the San Diego, they have shoes belonging to um, a giant. I don't know. Who oh, do they really? That was Robert Wadlow or huh. not. But, oh, uh, I wonder. There are some up there. You can go and, and put your feet next to it. So there is actually... Evidence of a giant in Sandia. Wow. <laughs> but <laughs> not, not 40 from foot tall. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So what are we leading into yeah. next? Well, what are we leading into next? From large from things from to from small things, maybe? From yeah. large things to small things. Yeah. So we're going to return to microbes. Okay. Uh, Can't wait. Plague season is starting up again. We're going to talk a little bit. This is this will be part two of our uh, uh Dangerous disease in um, Albuquerque. Sweet. Uh, yeah. We're going to have. We're going to talk a little bit more about the plague. Nice. Mm-hmm. Got a nice interview with Mo Palmer about tuberculosis. She's oh, nice. the official. Um, she's the official Presbyterian, uh, Presbyterian archivist. Oh yeah. wow, cool. Um, Hantavirus. Hantavirus. Oh yeah, that's right. You did all that research on hantavirus. Interesting yeah. A little bit more about smallpox. Oh, horrible the method stuff. of inoculation back in the day. Do so. not Google image search smallpox. I have been doing some research lately oh, for God. family history stuff, and it's horrifying. All right. Yeah. Well, I think right. I think we've reached a conclusion. Yeah. Yes. 
All right. Giants Thanks are real. For, Worship yes. them. <laughs> Thanks for uh, podcasting in. And what about will... uh, new Patreon? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. We do have new Patreon. Yeah, donors. Thank, thank you. Yeah, we thank should you. thank them. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's give a quick shout out of thanks to our patrons, of whom we have a few new ones. So I'll just uh, I'll note those as we, uh, as we come to their names. We've got April Herrera, who is our, our newest, actually. Yay. Thank uh, you, April. Rachel Langer, who just started this uh, month. Thank Rachel's you guys so, so cool. much. Julie Thank Bannerman, you. who's my mom, yeah. Amy Nevitt, um, I, I don't know Amy, Jim Robillard, Noah Patterson, Jesse Crawford, who is also mm. new this month, nice. Sierra Nets, Alexandra Samoya, Christopher Suski, uh, Courtney Fitzgerald, who's my wife, mm. uh, Farrell M. Smith, Amy Gabe, right Roland Pentilla, Isaac Clark, and um, also brand new, Sandra Dodd, who we actually interviewed what? about uh, David Bowie not too long oh, ago. Oh, man, that's cool. Thank awesome. you guys so much for all of your help. You're, um, it's, it's wonderful be, to be supported Seriously. in this way. You're making this possible. And uh, Thanks, for those Dylan. of you keeping track at home, we are almost at our next goal. So if we can just get a few more, we'll be ready to start having some meet and greet style events, which is our promise to you. So, mm-hmm. And we're all, right. all really attractive and <laughs> nice to look at. So, Yeah, yeah we do our best. Yeah. Um, we, all, <laughs> we all live in Albuquerque. <laughs> all right. Um, thank you, guys. <laughs>
Wild night.